0: Always hard for me to quiet after singing such amazing words. Oh, so this scripture reading today will make you think about what we just sang. That's what God does as Earl prays about the service, as Mike and Mike prepare, and as we all think about it. Just listen. This is 1 John 2, verses 15 through 29. So hang in there with me um, and listen for the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is all here. Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave but anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. And John says, Dear children, the last hour is here, and you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, and already many such Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that the last hour has come. These people left our churches but they never really belonged with us. Otherwise, they would have stayed with us. When they left, it proved they did not belong with us. But you are not like that. For the Holy One has given you his spirit, and all of you know the truth. So I am writing to you, not because you don't know the truth, but because you know the difference between truth and and lies. And who is a liar? Anyone who says that Jesus is not the Christ. Anyone who denies the Father and the Son is an antichrist. Anyone who denies the Son doesn't have the Father either. But anyone who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So you must remain faithful to what you have been taught from the beginning. If you do, you will remain in fellowship with the Son and with the Father. And in this fellowship, we enjoy the eternal life he promised us. I am writing these things to warn you about those who want to lead you astray. But you have received the Holy Spirit, and he lives within you. So you don't need anyone to even teach you what is true, for the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know. And what he teaches is true. So just as he taught you, remain in fellowship with Christ. And now, dear children, remain in fellowship with Christ so that when he returns, you will be full of courage and not shrink back from him in shame. So, since we know that Christ is righteous, we also know that all who do what is right are God's children the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning. Thank you, Carrie-Jane, for reading that scripture. And if you have a Bible in front of you, I invite you to turn there. There's a lot here. The text is also on our online bulletin page, trinityfellowship.org bulletin. If you don't have a Bible with you, but you have a reading device, or, and as the kids are dismissed, you can be turning there. My name is Mike Stroh. Uh, if you're new here, I'm one of the co-pastors here. It's my privilege to be with you all this morning and uh, as we look into God's Word. Nobody sets out to live a life of regret, uh, to get to the end of your life and look back and think, if only, fill in the blank, if only I had worked less and spent more time with the ones I love if only I had reconciled with that friend if only I had stopped to be grateful for the things I had rather than always seeking after the things I didn't have there's so many people in the world that end up with regrets like these but why Uh, surely at the time even in the moment we know rationally that our family is more important than money We know uh, what our priorities should be, but so often our thoughts and our behaviors, our habits, tell otherwise. We like to think that we order our lives around rational thought, what we know our priorities should be. But more often, we act out what's in our hearts. So we don't necessarily order our lives around what we think are our priorities, but by what we truly love continue our series through John's letters. The Apostle John is writing to believers being influenced by false teachers, who as we just heard in the scripture reading, they were part of the congregation, but they went out. They weren't genuine believers, and so evidently they left, but they were still trying to influence this church. Last week, we saw John lay out the test of true faith that is love for your neighbor, He continues in this passage on the theme of love, but now he warns us and tells us what not to love. This morning we'll see the need to guard our hearts against the desires and the loves that steal our love for Christ. John wants his readers not to look back at the end of their life with regret, or when Jesus returns and they stand before him, not to look back with shame or regret, but to have confidence because they have abided in him, is their greatest love and desire. So let's pray as we look at this passage together. Father, we come before you in gratefulness for the truth of your word, the power of your word, the way that your spirit impresses it on our hearts and in a unique way when we gather. And so we ask that you would do your your transforming work among us as we come before you try to be attentive to your word for just a few moments together and so do your work we pray in jesus name amen so look again at first john 2 starting in verse 15 john says do not love the world or the things in the world if anyone loves the world the love of the father is not in him For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So John has been telling us, do love your neighbor. Here he says, don't love the world, right? Aim your love in this direction, not that direction. This is another of John's tests of authenticity for those walking in the light. But what does he mean, don't love the world? Verse 15 was a battle cry in the the church circles that I grew up in. Don't love the world. Don't be worldly, which meant Christians should look as different outwardly from the world as possible. Uh, If you come from a similar church background, you probably know what I mean. These are preachers who preach against adultery because it might lead to dancing. I was was reminded of that one uh, in the Tuesday Night Men's Bible Study. It says, a legalistic checklist to measure your spirituality by how you dress, what kind of music you don't listen to, the places you don't go, the beverages you don't drink. I went to a Bible college that is notorious for its strict rules. It would be easier for me to list the things we were allowed to do than to say the things we were not. I once saw an interview with the founder of that college, and he was asked about the rules and just the rationale for, for it. He said that students weren't allowed to drink or go to movies or listen to rock music or the list goes on and on and on because he wanted them to be able to pillow their heads at night with a clear conscience. And that's what he said. He was a well-meaning man who loved God and loved the students, but is this what John really means by loving the world? John 3.16, we find out that God loves the world. Context is key. There, the world means the people in it, those who Jesus died to save. Here, the word world, same word, is used a different way, meaning the world's fallen system. The world as it stands in rebellion against God, its values, its priorities. He's not talking about the physical world. We are to be stewards of God's good creation God has given us that creation mandate. Paul teaches us as we live as believers, God's creation is to be enjoyed with thanksgiving. So what are the things in the world that John means that we're not supposed to love? Again, context is important, as it always is. He says don't love the world or the things in the world, and then what does he say in verse 16? He tells us what things in the world he's talking about. Look there. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those are the worldly things he's talking about. Desire here means sinful desire. Desire is good. God affirms desire. God gave us desire. This is when our desires get twisted in the wrong direction. Either we want the wrong thing or we want the right thing but in the wrong way or at the wrong time. This is this is lust. This is covetousness. Pride of life means a proud or arrogant way of living. This is flaunting a status symbol. Anything we try to think our identity, uh, we find our identity in. This could be your popularity at school or on social media. This could be your reputation in the community or at work. Your appearance, your knowledge, your wealth, your degrees, your gifts, your talents, your abilities. The love of the world started all the way back in the garden. In Genesis 3, 6, it says, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that's lust of the flesh, that it was pleasant to the eyes, that's lust of the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. It's the pride of life. She took the fruit. John tells us here that believers today are still tripped up by these desires. Lust. Lust covetousness, and pride. In verse 15, he says, if anyone loves the world or gives themselves over to these things that he describes in verse 16, he says, the love of the Father is not in him. This isn't the Father's love for us. God never stops loving us. This is the love for the Father that's in us. This is our love for him. John is saying there isn't room in our hearts for both. It's like the classic line in, the, in a western, this town ain't big enough for the both of us. Same thing in our hearts. The same thing is true that John is teaching here. James tells us that the friendship with the world is enmity or hatred toward God. In Matthew 6, Jesus teaches us that no one can serve two masters. And in that context, he has in mind the masters are God or money. You can't serve both. And serving is a good parallel image for what John is teaching here, because when we love the world, we're really being an idolater. We're really serving the world like we would serve God. That's why we can't love the world and love God at the same time. To love, and the word here for love the world, this is agape love. To give yourself sacrificially for another. That is what love is. When we give ourselves over to lust, to covetousness, to pride, we have nothing left to give to God. We've given ourselves over. We've served the world. And the world with its lust is passing away, verse 17. Commentator Glenn Barker captures this thought this way. He says, The world and its evils have already begun to putrefy. It is a corpse not yet buried. And John says, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Instead of the world's desires, instead of seeking after that, the one walking in the light focuses instead on God's will, God's desires, what God wants and longs for. So what we don't see in this passage, loving the world, is a checklist of outward behaviors or activities that are worldly. Rather, a worldly heart shows itself in those outward symptoms. Plenty of students that I went to college with followed all the rules to a T, but that didn't mean they pillowed their heads at night with a clear conscience. As Warren Wiersbe said, worldliness is not so much a matter of activity as of attitude. It's possible for a Christian to stay away from questionable amusements and doubtful places and still love the world, for worldliness is a matter of the heart. Here's how the message paraphrases verse 15 through 17. Look at this. Don't love the world's ways. Don't love the world's goods. Love of the world squeezes out love for the Father. Practically everything that goes on in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important, has nothing to do with the Father. It just isolates you from him. The world and all its wanting, wanting, wanting is on, its way, is on the way out. But whoever does what God wants is set for eternity. Wanting, wanting, wanting. This is what John's teaching here comes down to. What do we really want? What do we most desire? Be careful what you love. Because it might not be what we think we love. It might not be what we would tell someone we love most or what we think rationally that our priorities are. It comes out in what we daydream about. What we spend our free time doing. It's reflected in our fears, in our worries, what keeps us up at night. And so we have to take inventory. We have to examine our hearts. None of us love perfectly. But as we ask the Spirit to reveal our hearts Is our love primarily aimed toward God and others or has a love of the world come in and squeezed out much of our love for God? Maybe without us even realizing it. That's how idolatry works. God knows your heart. And so the invitation that John gives us is for us to know our hearts as well. To know our loves. And so with this in mind, let's look quickly at the rest of this passage, starting in verse 18. Because there's an urgency to what John is teaching here about what we love, there's an urgency in aiming our love in the right direction for at least two reasons that he lays out. First of all, there's the presence of false teachers, which were there then, and there's still false teachers today, so there's an urgency uh, to guard our hearts. And also, Jesus is coming back. We don't know when, and John wants us to stand confidently in his presence when he returns. So look at verse 18 with this in mind. Children, it is the last hour. And as you've heard that antichrist is coming, so now many antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are that they all are not of us. But you, Have been anointed by the Holy One. And you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. Because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let's stop there for just a second. There's a lot here. We don't have time to unpack all of this, but let's note just a few things along the way. First, John says it's the last hour. The last hour began when Jesus died and rose again. He's ushered in a new era. The next thing on God's calendar that we're waiting for is the return of Christ. What characterizes this last hour is the presence of those he calls antichrists. Here he means not that worldly figure, the, the world figure we usually associate with this word, but these anti-Messiahs, those who try to lead God's people astray, away from Jesus. These are the false teachers that John has been indirectly talking about from the beginning of the letter, and now he speaks of them directly. They did not remain in this church fellowship because their faith in Jesus was not genuine. Heretical groups like the Gnostics often claim to have a special knowledge a secret knowledge, a unique anointing that they had and nobody else had. But notice verse 20, what does John say? You're the ones with the anointing. You're the ones with the anointing that matters. You've been anointed by the Holy Spirit. We don't have to worry about secret knowledge. You have the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And this word for anointing is the same root word for Messiah or Christ. And so he warns of these anti messiahs and he says you have been messiahed you have been anointed by the true messiah so don't let them lead you astray see they denied that jesus was the christ that he was the messiah probably denying his humanity in some way like so many heresies have throughout the centuries and john could not be clearer here that the son is the way to the father you can't have the father without the son he says so if you don't know Jesus Christ is your Savior, Scripture teaches that God sent his Son to reconcile the world to himself. John says later in chapter 5 of this letter that whoever has the Son has life. But whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's really that simple. Jesus is the way to the Father. And now John brings all this together by returning to abiding. Let's look at verse 24. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as as it has taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Again, as we've seen John so far in our series do week after week after week, he lays out this truth that invites us uh, into deeper discipleship, into closer walk with God. And then he shows us how we already have everything we need to follow that command. We already have the provision of Christ to walk like him. We have the love of Christ in us, as we saw last week, so that we are already enabled to reflect that love, to show love to others. We have the righteousness of Christ in us so we can walk in the light, so we can be confident when he returns. We have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. If you know Jesus Christ, this is true of you. The Spirit abides forever in us, so we are enabled to abide in him. The Spirit is here to help us direct our loves, our desires, our hearts, more and more and more toward God. So how do we do that? How do we cooperate with this work of the Spirit in us? What we don't want to do is reduce our walk with God to a legalistic checklist. Our hearts can easily drift there. This is what the flesh does. It's so much easier to check a box than it is to walk in an actual relationship. But that doesn't mean rules are bad. We should live out our convictions with a clear conscience. As parents, there's a good place for rules in the home to help guide our kids it's part of our maturing but the aim for those rules for these personal standards as we live out our convictions is in support of a walk with god not in place of it and it was the same with the old testament law so how can we grow in our love for god Historically, the church has understood the spiritual practices as a primary way that we put ourselves in the path of the Spirit's transforming work. God alone transforms us, but we want to put ourselves intentionally in front of him to do that work in us. Because we're constantly being formed by what we do. Our daily habits, everything that we take in, whether we realize it or not, they're forming us. We're being discipled in a good direction or a bad direction, by everything that we do. That's why it's so important to be intentional about spiritual habits, to help aim our loves, our passions, our desires in the right direction. One main habit I want to mention is something hopefully we're doing all right now together, is worshiping. Philosopher James K.A. Smith argues this in his book, You Are What You Love. If you haven't read that book, I commend it to you. But in that book, he writes, In worship, we don't just come to show God our devotion and give him our praise. We are called to worship because in this encounter, God remakes and molds us top down. Worship is the arena in which God recalibrates our hearts, reforms our desires, and rehabituates our loves. Worship isn't just something we do. It is where God does something to us. Worship is the heart of discipleship because it is the gymnasium in which God retrains our hearts. This is part of why church attendance, faithful church attendance, is important in the Christian life. Not to check a box, but because this habit of corporate worship is so formative. This is why liturgy in worship has such value, because these habits form us. And so, too, the habit of prayer is formative, transformative. There's no one-size-fits-all prayer life, but a regular rhythm of prayer is vital in growing our love for God, rooting out the idols in our hearts. And we can't just wait until we feel like praying. Some of us are maybe feeling like we're in a season that we're spiritually cold or stagnant. If that's you this morning, bring that to God in prayer. Don't wait till you feel different to come to God in prayer. Pray like we prayed in the call to worship this morning. God, we want to want you. We long to be filled with longing. We can't say we don't have the right words. Pray the Lord's Prayer. God gave us the words. Pray the Psalms. If your prayer life is in need of growth, try something new this season. Try to establish a daily rhythm. Ask your brothers and sisters in Christ to encourage you and hold one another accountable. We might say, well, that sounds an awful lot like a checklist. It can be. But it's intentional time with God. Regular date nights are something Libby and I try to be intentional about. We plan for it. We put it on the calendar. Even... Every day we try to make intentional time just to connect, just to talk. In the chaos of life, we have to be intentional about making time to connect. Because growing a loving relationship takes intentionality. It doesn't just happen if you don't show up. And if we hope to grow in our love for the Father, we need to show up. Joseph Ratzinger, the late Pope Benedict, said that prayer properly understood is nothing other than becoming a longing for God. I love that definition of prayer, becoming a longing for God. So worship and prayer are just two spiritual practices of many that help aim our love in the right direction. But we could zoom out and we can say that the whole Christian life is all about aiming our loves and our longings more and more toward Christ. The whole Christian life should be a daily intentional seeking to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Come back to James K.A. Smith again, and he writes that discipleship, all discipleship, we might say, is a way to curate your heart, to be attentive to and intentional about what you love. So our faith is not just about what we know. It's not just about what we do. It's a, Our relationship with God has to reach down deep into our hearts. Our walk with God has to live in our wants, our desires, the deepest longings of our heart, what we truly love. See, John, as he's been telling us, wrote this letter to encourage believers to stay in right fellowship with God, to keep walking in the light, to live with fullness of joy. To stand before Jesus one day, to look back without regrets, but to stand with confidence when he returns. Because that we've lived a life of being attentive to what we love. We've been attentive to abide in Christ. So let's close in prayer together by praying again the prayer that we started our service with. So would you pray with me as the music team comes back up? You pray with me uh, these words. O God, we have tasted your goodness, and it both satisfies and makes us thirst for more. We are painfully aware of our need for further grace. We are ashamed by our lack of desire. O God, the triune God, we want to want you. We long to be filled with longing. We thirst to be made more thirsty still. Show us your glory, we pray, that we may know you indeed. In Jesus' name, amen.